0: listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn.
1: Welcome,
2: welcome, welcome to the Inclusive (laughs) AF podcast. I'm Katie Van Horn. Oh,
1: you don't say. Hi, Katie. I am Jackie Clayton. Nice to meet you.
2: Oh, so nice to meet you as well. I'm a little disheveled today because I didn't feel like Uh, washing my hair again because it's 400 degrees out in Arizona so uh, it's a bun today today is a bun day which I'm I feel good about um it's Monday you know you know it's true Yes. Okay. So today we have a, a wonderful guest that we would like to introduce everyone to to talk, you know, about some uh, great things around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, Nani, I'll turn it over to you to introduce yourself and share a little about who you are, all that good stuff.
0: Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Nani Vishwanath. You see her pronouns. I work with an organization called the Courage Collective, and we've been really focused on bringing a more human approach to work through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We were founded in 2020 and have been growing and evolving ever since. I also have a full-time day job in the DEI space and kind of the product marketing realm of work. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about these topics and how we can continue to evolve as as a society around them. Awesome.
2: So 2020, you started. So obviously, that was a a major point in time with COVID with all of the social justice issues going on. Um, what inspired you or what what, you know, obviously, those I'm sure were pieces of it. But why did you start your your own consulting company?
0: At the time, I was at a tech company here in the Seattle area and was working with a few other folks who were really passionate about the space, both from a work perspective and simply because we were black and brown folks in an organization where there were very few of us. And we had some real conversations about what change could look like internally, and we tried to push that rock up a hill and felt the real resistance, especially when it came to resource allocation or real prioritization of the topic from leadership. And so we started imagining what could this look like if we were to build it and not have to go against the grain of a company and so we came together and um, our founder created the courage collective brought a few of us along we started off with doing learning series for organizations and we've expanded to be more employee journey consulting as well um, we work for, we work with a number of organizations ranging from small startups to large fortune 500 organizations um, all kind of grappling with different aspects of DEI, um, but we wanted to see something more real, more human and more prioritized, and that's why we started our own thing.
1: Awesome. i would to know what that means. I mean, I feel like I keep seeing people pivot in the space, like, we want to make it more human or we want to make it more accessible or we want to make it more real. What does that mean when you are saying getting more of that experience? What does that mean to you?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know about y'all, but when I speak with some folks and even just mention that I work in the DEI space, I feel this like kind of freezing and Upheaval of the shoulders, and like, okay, and you, and I almost sense this like, okay, I'm going to get out my book of what I can and can't say now. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of folks understand DEI to be. And when working in a company where it wasn't prioritized, I felt like it became that this really rigid academic conversation. Um, rather than what we believe is like, what what are humans experiencing day-to-day organization before they're hired, while they're hired, and even when they leave? And how is that impacted by the different facets of their identity? And how can we talk about it from that real human level rather than a list of what we should and shouldn't say? Um, And so when we have our conversations with, with different clients, having them understand, oh, okay, this isn't about like how I should make sure I don't use certain words in the workplace, but rather how I can show up as myself and also understand that everybody that I work with has a variety of different experiences that could be honored in different ways. And just the level of conversation feels more like a release of the tension rather than armoring up. I'm
1: curious as to... How, does, how do people get to show up? Is, is it for more for leaders or is it for ICs? Um, what lens is it coming from when you're doing those types of things?
0: It's a range for organizations. So we typically work with somebody who runs DEI at the company to get things set up. So y'all know, depending on the organization, sometimes that's a resource role. Sometimes it's a volunteer who's taking it on as their part-time initiative at the company. Um, But we work with them to get it started. And depending on how the company is prioritizing it, we work with different levels of the company. So we might do a learning series with just leaders or entire parts of an organization, let's say a sales org or something like that. We might work really closely with their HR team to look at their employee kind of journey and, and, and dissect that for opportunities a DEI counsel is often somebody we work with too. So it kind of ranges from the company and how they're thinking about it. Um, my, my opinion anyway, is that obviously we'd love to have more folks in the room and not just the folks who opt in.
1: Yeah. If somebody said, Oh, you can work with our volunteer person. I, I think I'd have to say, sure. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, wait
0: a minute, <laughs> Yeah. you're exactly.
1: paying me, you're paying me but you're not paying a volunteer so that I can give a volunteer more work. I'm getting paid, but you're not paying the volunteer.
0: hundred percent.
1: Maybe put a flag up. I don't know where the flag would go or if if anybody would see it, but a mental note, it's like, oh, we like, I think that probably tells you
0: where to start, right? Like what's going on. Yeah. and, And as a consultant, we can say Number one, pay your people. Show Karen, right?
1: <laughs> That's the yeah. beauty of consultants. Yeah. And trust me, I hire Katie as a consultant to say the things like I can't say. Totally, you know, to my yeah. peers because the message is the same, but it just gets it hits different when it's someone who can leave. You know, it's so
0: true. It's so true. Yeah.
1: But I think there's
2: also a different level of honesty from employees about what their actual experience is. So, you know, when you're talking about the, you know, employee life cycle, the employee journey, that mm-hmm. type of thing, you, you do have a different level with an outside consultant of what folks will share. I think, uh, because I've, you know, been inside and outside doing these, you know, this type of work and the out, outside consultant, I feel like just gets a different level of honesty um, or you know, folks feel more brave and sharing. But I think it, the, the most basic tenets of, yeah, pay the folks that are volunteering, because usually those are folks from marginalized or underrepresented groups. So stop taking advantage um, is a, a huge piece. So what gets you up in the morning? What do you get excited about when you think about this work?
0: I think it's, for me, those moments where, it's whether it's in a training, whether it's in a one-on-one conversation, whether it's through hearing what we've heard back from thought pieces we've written. When somebody says, I feel seen by this, or I feel heard by this, or I, I thought I was alone in this and I'm not. Um, To me, that's, that's truly what gets me out of bed. I, I, my own personal mission statement is around empowering the voices of the unheard or elevating those voices. And, to me, it's always thinking of what are the experiences, perspectives, voices in this room that have not been heard, and how can we make more space for them? So that that brings me energy every day. Awesome.
2: I, I bring that up
0: because you know
2: I I think we are in this moment, and you you mentioned this prior to us starting to record this kind of moment of I, I don't know if we want to call it reckoning or. Uh, rebalance, whatever you want to call it, where so many companies are saying, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal for us to focus on DEI, or maybe we don't have to have resources allocated to DEI. And, you know, I, so I think it's, uh, it is such important work and, you know, how we become more passionate about it is so critical, but would love to hear your thoughts on that topic. You know, the fact that so many companies are pulling back on the commitments that they made in 2020, 2021, um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think there's t- two driving forces, probably more honestly, and I think they're somewhat connected. But one of them is, I think, many organizations, if you were to talk with their leadership and ask them why DI is important to their organization, and then you took their response and asked them why again, and then prodded a little deeper and asked them why one more time, I'm not sure a lot of folks would have a clear response. And part of the reason I see for that is that a lot of the action that's been driven over the last three years has been really out of reactive approaches or trying to be on the right side of history. Now, I'm generalizing. There are so many companies that have done incredible, real, authentic work, and progress is always happening around us, so I I do acknowledge that. Um, But from from a grand scale, just an observation is that there was a lot of fear-based action that happened in, in 2020 of how do we make sure our company has a statement that we can pull out or we can say that we're doing the right thing. But asking why often feels less clear. Um, and organizations will say, it's important to us or we want to have a diverse workforce, but connecting that to the what their company is all about, that's often a light bulb that a lot of folks haven't turned on is it's this is not a separate thing. And that's the second driving force, I think, that I'm seeing a lot of right now is that organizations see it as separate or additive and don't see the importance of integrating a DEI lens, so to speak, into all aspects of a business, not just HR and not just one part of HR, right, um, but everything. And I think that's why it gets relegated to these surface level topics like, okay, well, okay, we'll show up for cultural moments or heritage months and we'll do a one training a year or um maybe we'll have a speaker come in and talk about a topic and that that's, it stays there. Um, and does it, is it a deeply integrated part of the work?
1: How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube.
2: Jackie, you're on mute.
1: <laughs> I was. <laughs> it was so great, and I lost it. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what I was gonna say was, Nani works at like your day job, your other your other job um, at REI has done an amazing job, unlike a lot of organizations. And this is something that we don't hear a lot about um, outside of this movement, but I've seen more readily is allowing people of color of being themselves without being some stereotype of what that means with Mm -hmm. rei it's like being outside i was cracking up because my son plays magic the gathering right he's this young brown boy who plays magic the gathering and he dorks out on magic the gathering and i saw this guy the other day he was like um on tiktok that was like i don't play spades but i play magic the gathering and he's like sitting with all these other black people playing magic the gathering and So it's like, these are things that we haven't seen or a lot of people just being allowed to be themselves that has come out of that movement where, I don't know, I I don't think we've talked a lot about how that transition has occurred. And I was curious if you've, what your opinion is or have you seen anything like that as you've been building these new um, initiatives or in working with other companies where it's not just, because it came out of fear but it's still evolved. As much as we're all nervous about where it's going, there's so much evolution that's happened in the last couple of years that still is worthy of discussion.
0: Oh, hugely. Yeah, absolutely I would agree with that. I think the companies where I where I'm excited is where we're not stopping at let's be less problematic, but rather what are we building? What's future forward? And what does that look like that's more innovative? and brings in a variety of perspectives. And to your point, stories that are not often heard. I think that's what's exciting. But I think a lot of organizations stop at, let's not do these things. But what's ahead of that? And how do we keep people motivated when you don't have that hopeful future to look forward to? Um, Rather than, okay, we're going to do a training so that people aren't experiencing bias in the recruitment process. Instead of stopping there, could it be what is a really inclusive recruitment experience look like? Let's throw away everything we do and let's just dream for a little bit and iterate and think about what this could look like. What are those things that you as a candidate, based on your own experience and identities had had gone through that you think, this didn't make me feel welcome, included, or have a sense of belonging? Let's reimagine it. I think that dream state is needed. Um, and unfortunately, not a lot of organizations are embracing it.
1: I think it's it's getting to the point where it's like, I think initially it came out where there was so much that we didn't realize that people weren't didn't weren't getting this, weren't getting the same messages. They didn't realize what was going on um, in certain instances. But now it's like it's twofold. If my organization is trying to do all of these things, regardless of my background, what does that mean for me as an individual contributor before the whole organization? Because like some of people in their effort of being inclusionary make their place of work a very uninhabitable, lonely, cold place with everybody running around all excited and happy, except for the people that are underrepresented that still feel that way. It's 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 an another acknowledgement. And I, I'd love to, you know, I'm just sharing. We're just having a conversation. That's yeah. what's on my mind today, I think.
0: I hear you. I mean, I've seen that firsthand where folks well-intended, I literally saw this at an organization, had a list that is called words to avoid and are in a meeting with a few folks of color. And somebody said one of these historically outdated terms that if you looked it up, would realize it had a problematic origin. And in the meeting is like, this is a word you shouldn't say to this person of color and it, it you know it just to me is like so shows us what we're doing wrong is just by going by that philosophy rather than thinking about this whole experience of this person being in a room where they are the only one or one of the only and experiencing so many other things that may be problematic or hard or barriers, and yet we're focusing on this as the sense of belonging is this one way of thinking. So I, I just think we lose sight of that a lot, the, the real well, lived experience.
1: I think there is part of the work, it was Maya Angelou that said, words were the only thing that's ever driven change and putting it within the tapestry. The words to avoid isn't even the point, right? That's like exactly my mom saying, don't touch that, it's hot. Right. Without explaining about heat, skin, blisters, scarring, like all of those things. Otherwise, I may not have ever made a s'more if you just right. <laughs> fires hot,
0: you know, like precisely
1: the impact of it's not enough. You have to go one click deeper in that investment. But I, yes. I appreciate where you I would be that makes me so uncomfortable. It's like we wow. walked into a room and said, Don't say anything. Katie's coming in, she's Catholic. So don't say anything <laughs> about birth control. She'll be right. really offended. So we right. all just sit there quiet around Katie. Hi,
0: Katie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and good ideas and forward thinking and collaboration don't happen when everybody's so afraid to even speak, right? So,
2: yeah. I I just listened to uh, an interview uh, Megan Rapinoe was giving um, with uh, Glennon Doyle. and, And it was really, really interesting because one of the things that she talked about is on the team, They discussed the fact that, you know, for so long, it was teamwork, 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 and not recognizing the individual. And they have really shifted how they think about the team to say each one of us is an individual that brings up, you know, different things, you know, within, you know, who we are. And Abby Wambach also was, you know, on the, the podcast, of course. And she mentions the, well, yeah, you know, I remember speaking in front of a group and saying, you know, I'm a little slow. So Mia Ham has to, you know, pick up and Mia like pulled her side and said, don't ever do that again. Like where you have, you know, deficiencies or, you know, things that maybe aren't as great. That's where I come in and vice versa. And that's how we balance each other out, but we're all great at our things. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the individual. And so yeah, to have a list of these, are the words you can't say that's like, just well, hey, it's a little bit odd, but <laughs> that really doesn't get to belonging in any way, shape or form
1: when you can't well, be an To be fair, yes. In Waco, there are people that need a list of words to That's fair. Fair. That's fair. So okay. like you can't, yeah. like I live in the big brass buckle of the Baptist Bible Belt and I yes. can tell you uh-huh. they need a list before they walk in the room. And I ain't even, I ain't even mad at it. <laughs> like, like, sure. like saying words like Texas A&M. Or UT could get you hurt. Like you, the there are some environments that you might not. I will give a prime example. And this was really, I was shocked that I didn't move. And I'm shocked that I'm still here, but that's a whole nother day. Um it was a, it was called Rainwater. It's a rainwater project, and it's one of the um DEIB initiatives. You might have heard of it, but it was talking about like where is the problem and the problems in the rainwater. Mm-hmm. And so. Within the group, it is very diverse on purpose, age, race, gender, very, very specific, sexual orientation. But the trainers came from like, think Indianapolis. And number one, they did kept mentioning University of Texas and people got very offended, because this is Texas. I mean, people were very offended, but we all kind of giggled and got over it. But then the gentlemen started talking about guns. Now, if you don't live in Texas, I can understand. Maybe in in Arizona, it's the same. And, but he was saying like, I couldn't believe the person had a gun and there was silence in the Mm. whole room. Now, everybody was there to learn about DEIB, right? Everybody had the same piece, like, you know, we understood the class, you had to be selected into this class. And so you could think that there was at least a part of curiosity where there wasn't going to be automatically, but the room was silence. And it was the sheriff. I don't think the trainer knew that the guy was the sheriff in the room, but he finally said, you're in Texas, son. And everybody just started laughing. And then he was, people were like, I've got a gun in my boot. Oh yeah. I've got one in my pocket. Like if you're offended by that, You might not be in the right place. And so there is an amount of where you are. I think corporations are different and that's the balance. And that's what I was going to ask you is the difference between your initiatives internally at your own company versus things that are happening outside the company. Like if you're working with a nonprofit or something outside of a corporate entity that's full of volunteers, has your message, does your message change? And if so, how would it change?
0: So the question is if, if our, if we are working, if we're working with our, with an an organization we're consulting with versus otherwise. Yeah. I was just
1: wondering, like if you, if the things that you implement at a corporation, do you see the same things at nonprofits or does it vary by size?
0: I think it really varies depending, size can play a role, um, but I think. Just the culture of the organization is the driving force, whether it's, it is a corporate entity or a nonprofit or higher education institution we've worked with as well. It, and even then within the culture and then within the subcultures that we have the opportunity to be with. If there's a culture of, we don't say certain things, or we have very, we are, we have low levels of psychological safety, people are unable to speak up without experiencing risk or consequence then what we are able to say has a very different impact than if we are working in an organization where they're upfront and honest and say, here, we know what we know. We know that we're not doing this super well. We know that we've heard from underrepresented folks in our organization that this isn't going well and we need help and we can be vulnerable about that. Totally different conversation.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it is so interesting because it is the, so, you know, DEI, I have had a lot of my friends are that do DEI consulting are based in California or on the West Coast. And we've had conversations about what does that look like to do consulting in California versus in Texas, in Arizona, and some of these other places and I think that the piece that is so critical that, you know, we continue to talk about is meet, meeting people where they are on their journey mm-hmm. and everyone is different. And so, yeah, you might be in a room that everyone's carrying a gun or has a gun somewhere close by. And, you know, how does that conversation change when you're talking about inclusion or or what, you know, or how do you think about that when you're talking about whatever kind of social, social justice issue? And I think that's the piece that is so um so many consultants get wrong, I think, and DEI professionals get wrong is the one size fits all period, mm-hmm. end of discussion. And, and that's, you know, going back to, Hey, we're trying to create equality versus equity. And, and it is just so fascinating to me, you know, that you see the differences of what the approach will work. But I also think that goes to the belonging piece of if you're truly creating a, a an, a culture of belonging, Mm -hmm. it can't all be, you know, one size fits all because then it's going to be exactly what it's been for hundreds of years in corporate America or wherever, uh, you know, organization you're in. So it just, it's just interesting.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Every organization and even smaller parts of each organization have to have their own approach, their own math, and own what they need to undo as well I think that that it all varies and you could you've seen companies take the playbook right of saying okay got it I'm one unconscious bias training we're going to set up ERGs and we're going to do a calendar of cultural holidays every year done and done and it's so evident it doesn't work that way um And in many cases actually does more harm to organizations and especially those most marginalized and it can work, but it doesn't mean it will, Um, and I think that's the thing.
1: I think so many people expect that, like that's the thing that's scary. So um, you might have heard me say before, like the future of DEI is not Googleable. But I can't tell you how many times like you are saying, like, that's the playbook. Like, I think that's the chat GPT, how you implement <laughs> so a diversity true. program? Oh, set up ERGs, put it all, you know, I just put a post out there. I'm like, until you can deal with your unconscious bias or your conscious bias, I'm not touching your unconscious bias because so I don't good. even know what's down in there because you ain't even trying to, you know wear the right shoes, you're at Disney World in pumps, you know who you are. Um, So we are even ready to deal with those other things. But at the same time, what's great about the collective is that there are so many voices that you can try it out. Because the other thing is, it's changed. Like, I used to think of courageous conversations of being able to say, I'm a practicing charismatic Christian at work, like that's courageous. But now it's like, just to be able to say, I don't think I'm being paid fairly. Like we're not, it's not even that deep. Like you're trying, people are trying to go up to those things and it's like, um, you asked me to do this extra thing but I'm not getting paid for it, I noticed, dot, dot. Right. dot. And right. those are the courageous conversations that need mentoring. Um, I would like to know what have you seen? Has there been any new innovative things that you've been um, talking about? I talked to somebody today about um, reverse. They were talking about reverse mentorship Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. having people. And then I was like, okay, but what does the person from the underrepresented group get out of that conversation besides Mm -hmm. exploited for free? Like it just felt because I'm still a black woman. Like when I have these conversations, I start out being very professional, but sometimes I'm like, I would be so mad if somebody asked me to do that for these reasons, but I got what they, I see where it could go Totally. once you, again, another click. So I'm wondering, have you seen any innovative things that maybe we haven't seen in every DEI playbook that you think are worth um, looking at?
0: I'm really interested in conversations right now around the quote unquote future of work as it relates to companies thinking through this hybrid, remote, in-person work and how DEI can be such a part of that conversation often is not, um, but organizations that are purposeful about why they want to bring people together in person and when. and really considering the impact on different identities, whether it's parents or caregivers that have a totally different need in terms of their schedule or doing less of the we're all going to get together at a bar when the folks who don't drink for whatever reason or maybe are a neurodivergent and that kind of atmosphere is challenging for them or potentially they just are an introvert and that's not going to do it. Right. There's so many reasons why folks don't like to socialize that way, but it's such like such a common part of corporate culture. Um, And then the, the requirement of being in person and how that, that has a vastly different experience for folks who are underrepresented in the workplace and seen some really interesting research about the benefits of remote work for people of color and, and what that's, that's done. And so really thinking all of that through and then building that into the plan. So if we are going to get together, is there a clear reason for it? And can we build an experience that really has most people's needs in mind? And we do some active listening to bring that. Sure, it's going to take more of a lift, but the impact will be so much better than a blanket. You need to be in the office every Wednesday. So um, I'm interested in that as one. And then the second piece that I haven't seen a ton of, but I'm I think is so needed, um, is just around the importance of managers, of people managers. I think people managers vastly are underqualified, should not have been managers, but they are promoted to be because that's what we do apparently. But we all know that is such a unique skill set that so many people haven't had the opportunity to develop or maybe don't want to. And then the ripple effects of that are really costly on people and, and harmful, especially to those who don't have a lot of folks they can relate to on an identity level in, at work.
1: I'm so glad you said that.
0: Yes. I mean, it needs, we need to run a billboard. <laughs> I agree. Middle managers have been forgotten, honestly.
1: And they have to do all the dirty work that all these people have been trying. And then they're like, here's the really hard thing that we just... <laughs> What were you yep. going to say, Katie? Sorry, I jumped in. Well, first, I want to
2: let you know that that ChatGPT has a fourteen-point uh, response to building a DEI strategy. So you're where also where was
1: DERG? Which one was it? Was it number three? Tell me,
2: tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, ERG. <laughs> let's see. Uh, says establish. So, so number four, form a DEI task force or. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It doesn't say anything in here about uh, paying people for the extra work they're doing. So Education? That, you know, that might be no. something to consider. But uh, <laughs> if I if I may, ChatGBT, give you some uh, feedback. Um, I, <laughs> what I'm going to say is, I think it's also just the those frontline managers. How many organizations have you walked into where it's, oh, we have a leadership training program that, you know, once they're a lead, once they're a manager, once they're a senior manager, director, on and on and on, this is the training. This is what they learn. These are the skill sets that they pick up. Mm-hmm. Almost none. Like they're most companies. It's just, you're a leader now. Good luck. Hope it works out for you. And no training, no anything. And it is a skill set that your best engineer might not be your best manager. Shocking. Right. I know. All
1: right. I don't but, know if I should work with people. Some people in HR shouldn't work with people oh, at all. Amen.
0: Yes. <laughs> Agree.
1: <laughs> so, to amen. Be clear, Like, yeah. you just don't even need to come out. But, like, right. I'm glad that you said that. We were talking about, um, so we're working on internally. I work at Textio. Um right. And one of the things we were talking about is our inclusion council at what should we do to change it? And I was like, mm-hmm. why don't we do it like they do at other organizations where you have specific roles with Robert's Rules of Order, all these things. And I was like, you know what? That would be more leadership training like within four months than the middle line managers would have received in their whole career. Because I've been told of being on these boards all my life that this was supposed to help me in management. I'm like, nobody follows the rules air quote the rules or understands how to have a conversation or Mm-mm. um like it's it's interesting we have on the DEIB side where it's like how do you have courageous conversations and then you go back to like 1859 and there's actually some things written about how to have courageous conversations and we've gotten into a habit of not looking at management skills when providing managers and I I, I think and, and that could break your whole program. Oh yeah, yeah. That could that, break that your company. Passion, right.
2: That could break your company.
0: Mm-hmm. We've seen, Full you know, when it when it comes to, to DEI conversations, something happens in the world, something horrible that it that disproportionately impacts one identity group, and then a person of that identity group goes to work, and their manager a doesn't say anything or acknowledge the moment, or b says something crass. That in and of itself, that one moment tells them this isn't my place. They don't care about me and nothing else that they're doing from an organizational level might be able to even change that. That's, that's the level of impact a manager has.
2: And, and I, and back to, I, I 100% agree with you, Nani. And I think it's one of those things that we have so ill prepared our managers mm-hmm. that how many of you got that phone call or that email as these ongoing you know issues have come up again and again and again. And it's, you know, well, should we say something every time because it's happening every day, or, you know, hey, what do we do with this or how do we help our employees? And they truly have no, no frame of reference or any starting point, especially if they're not from a marginalized group because right. they they can't even wrap their head around the I'm walking down the street and I get attacked for, you know reason, no reason that I can control. Right. Or I get shot or I get whatever. And we have not done a very good shot. We haven't done any work really around preparing our leaders for those conversations just to check in and say, what do you need? How can I help? Or just I'm here. Yeah. Whatever that might look like.
0: I even just acknowledge I recognize this thing happened. That's going to have different levels of impact on you. Do what you need to do or hear the resources that we can help you with. Um, We've seen a lot of companies want like templates for these kinds of events and you just can't templatize empathy, right? And there's
1: new things. Like, I feel like, again, I live in Texas, but like my friends in Arizona and Texas and Florida, like we've all been held hostage as a full state. Like, what are you supposed to say? right now in Texas, it's every day. It's yeah. like, just put us on the prayer list and I'll get to you like next election because it just keeps getting bad yeah. and, or worse and worse. But I will tell you it was um, my boss and I was trying to be, I, and you get used to it. Like I always say, I've been black all my life. So all these things have happened. I'm not necessarily expecting kindness or empathy is something that has not been my experience. And so many other people, it's not their experience and it can catch you off guard as well. I do Mm -hmm. think it's so important to say something, but I was trying to talk to my boss, Kieran, and she was like, it was right after it was like the black history thing in Florida. Mm -hmm, And knowing that doing DEIB work for all of us that are doing DEIB and seeing the attacks on DEIB, was like, I have no idea what you must be feeling right now. And I just broke down. Like I was not even going to deal with that feeling or emotion, but just Mm -hmm. to acknowledge it also made me acknowledge what was going on in my shoulders that day Mm -hmm. or feeling about my own existence and how do I relate? And I think so many of us doing that work right now are all really tense and stressed, And it feels like we're all going to be I don't even know what's going to happen. It feels very, it's a very, it's scary. There's no, there's no better word for it because I feel like all of us are going to be doing illegal work soon. (laughs) Like, I feel like we're all going to be doing, um, because that the decision's already been made is what people don't realize. And so it's Mm -hmm. up to people being strong. We are the variant in these situations. But the the attack on DEIB has been very clear. The gauntlet has been thrown. We know where that's going. There's not a lot that we can do except for staying strong and supporting each other. And Mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you brought that up. It's so important to let people know that you recognize those things and can acknowledge because it's gonna get worse before it gets better. We keep saying that, thinking, but could it really? And then we're being completely blown away. And none of these things should, as soon as you say, I'm not shocked by anything, something shocking. I
0: know. I know. It's so true. And that's a powerful story of you with your, with your manager. I think just that simple belief, like I can, Oh, I can be human here. I didn't even know I could, um, after a school shooting last year, I sent an email out internally. I sent a newsletter and at REI and the, and, and I just acknowledged it. Like I'm a parent and other parents and caregivers, I know your mind is nowhere near work right now. And everything in your body wants to just like run and grab your children and hide. And like, I get that. And somebody wrote back to me and they're like, I've been in a workshop all morning and trying not to cry. Just like Thank you for saying something, and you know, just, just a simple acknowledgement of that human experience.
1: Welcome, Change Agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.
2: And and again, I think that's where I'm sure all of us have heard from senior leaders of the, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yep. And, and better you say the wrong thing yes. and start the conversation versus not even acknowledging it. And I think like put aside the humanity, put aside all of the reasons why you should do this. It's also just a business imperative yes. where if you're in a, a workshop all morning and you are completely distracted because all you're thinking about is, are my kids safe? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to make sure they're safe? And all of those horrific feelings inside your body, you're not at work. You're not, you know, you might be there physically, but you're not there mentally. And so it's also the, I think leaders don't understand or, or don't recognize the fact that even just those little conversations like Jackie's example with Karen, like it makes such a difference and it, yeah. it and it's not, you're not fixing it. You didn't mm-hmm. say, well, here's how we're going to change the world, but just acknowledging it and saying, I either, I can't comprehend because I don't have children or I wow. I can only imagine that all of you just need a minute, take what time you need, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. That acknowledgement is such a critical piece to just being human and reaching across the the table, whatever you want to call it to say, I'm here. If you need anything, I'm here to listen. So yeah, um, yeah, it's important. Um, So what are you working on next? Like what is the next big project that you all are working on that you're focused on?
0: So we um, are putting together right now a report based on some of the data that we've done with our clients over the last three years through surveying, et cetera, to understand some broader themes about what's happening in the workplace, dissected a bit by identity. So we're excited to share that. We're talking more about how, how we propel a conversation about further integration of DEI rather than continuing to separate it and keep it on the surface. Um, Personally, to your last point around um, saying the wrong thing, I'm interested in a world where people can say what they hadn't done right in the DEI space and be honest about it. A lot of us are innovating right now when it comes to DEI and with innovation comes failure. And I think it would be so powerful if leaders at different organizations were able to say, we tried this thing, for example, we tried employee resource groups. We ended up having a bunch of passionate folks who are already in historically excluded communities do extra work. And we realized that they ended up burning out. I know that that's hard to say. It doesn't look good.
1: No, listen, I have to do that. By the way, you can read my report from last year. It talks about all my failures. And I look forward to sharing the failures from this year. I love that. Yeah, can we do more of that? It was one of those things where um, it was very one of the things that was difficult and I want I'm glad that you said that and I hope that there's other DEIB professionals in the room because it was like I don't want to hear what's good I want to yeah. know what had what we need to do to make a change and there's so many things that um like I, like just admit it like what you're saying so many mm-hmm. people spin it and it was one of the things that was a big impasse was, I was like I'm not working with marketing on this and I put it together and let marketing make it pretty, but then Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where I think Katie remembers, they, they were like, oh, I'm so excited to share. I was like, I am not excited to share this. Yeah. Like going from three to 8% is not good enough. That does not anything to celebrate. Like, you know, these are the mistakes that we've made because so many people, Aren't and like you said, that's why you know we get, we did to start on another campaign about how the feature is not Googleable. Like you're not going to see it out there until we start putting it, and that's why people keep making the same stinking mistakes. Yeah, because it stops at this is what we're doing, and without we're so saying proud oh of, yeah, and everybody yeah. you know hates us for it. They don't they don't report that part. But totally, people do but, need to start doing that more.
2: You know, I think Aubrey Blanche uh, at the time she was at Ledge she started reporting on like the fatigue and the mistakes. And I think that is so refreshing, but it is also like, here's where we made mistakes. Mm -hmm. Don't do what we did. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that's a piece as well that, you know, there, this is such a trial and error on so many of these things and being able to say, oh, well, this company tried that. It didn't really work out or well, they did this and it was, you know, fantastic for their folks. Um, I think those are the things as well that uh, we just need to do better at, you know, talking to each other and sharing what's working and what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, excited to see, you know, what you all come up with, the report that you come up with, because I think it is, it's really critical. So, okay. So what is one thing that you want to make sure our listeners heard throughout this episode?
0: I think this idea of forward future thinking and the hope that comes and optimism also that comes with building and trying new things rather than spending all of your energy on what we're doing wrong or deconstructing existing systems. There's so much ahead. Um, A core quote that I come back to all the time, it was tweeted by Dr. Crystal Jones. And she said, there's a huge difference between the ideas all are welcome here And this was created with you in mind and anchoring toward the latter, and thinking about what can you create with more people in mind and kind of getting rid of that. Let's fit everybody within an all are welcome here box and think about something much more nuanced and human centered and individualized. I think it's exciting. And I, I want people, I hope for people to feel energized by the future of this work rather than depleted or, or fearful. Awesome. Thank you. Jackie, what you got?
1: Um, I want we didn't get on, talk about it a lot, but Nani brought it up about the impact of like working at home and people of color and how that affects. But, you know, looking in that, exploring that, because I'm sure it's the same for people with disabilities mm-hmm. and people that are older, um, like look at how that impact impacts is and explore those and then the other part is to explore some of these resources because like nani said there's so many people that are innovated even if it's working for you swimmingly well and you can write the blueprint still look at other people of doing because to see if you can do one click more or 1% better can make all of the difference. And to look at some of those resources. And as we bring people onto the show, to look these people up and see the work that they are they are doing, um, I think a lot of people listen to us, but it's like, no, go look at, at the work because I'm fascinated by the collective and some of the things that make me really interested. So I think that um, it would be great for people to, to do that and and understand and dig in a little bit more.
0: Awesome.
1: And
2: I I would say, you know, I think this overall conversation around where are we at currently with DEI is going to be an ongoing conversation, Mm -hmm. as we all know. But really recognizing and being able to speak to why this is not just a nice to have, that it truly is a business critical, mission critical piece of work. Um, and, and I, I do, I have a very dear friend of mine and anytime I get down on this topic and am frustrated, she reminds me that the things that are happening currently are those last hold out those absolutely, you know, we don't have any other options. So we're going to just do everything we can. That's just destructive and horrible to hold on to power Mm -hmm. because they're losing power or, you know, having to share power. And so we have to keep going. And, you know, when we are at this space where, you know, Jackie, you said it earlier, like, but when is it going to be better? When are we going to see the better? And I think it's just, you know, we are in this uncomfortable, horrific space right now that we just have to keep pushing forward because we know We're doing what's right. We know that the things we're doing are helping people and bringing people along. And I love what you just said about, you know, we created this for you, um, you know, with you in mind. I think that's just such a a great piece of advice because I think that's very, that is a very different thing than, hey, hope you fit in here or, hey, (laughs) you know, we're trying to be inclusive. So I love that. So, Nani, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, This is Katie Van Horn, and this is Jackie Clayton,
1: bye! Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed.